4, 1 through 25. The parable of the sower. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and very large crowd gathered about him. So he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd who beside the sea uh, on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had not root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew, grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The purpose of the, fair, the parables. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But of those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they heat, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The one who, when they heard, when they hear the word and immediately receive it with joy, and they have to root in themselves, but endure for a while then. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among them. They are those who hear the word, but he, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Lamp under a basket. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed or not on a stand? For nothing hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has 
will be taken away. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Would you please pray with me? Father, we long for so much um, that even this world and all of its glory and power and, and all riches and, and all pleasures uh, cannot satisfy. And so we pray that you give us a deeper hunger and a, a deeper thirst to understand your word, which we can feed on, and in Christ gives us life. So we pray for that life in him. We ask that you would help us to understand, have ears to hear. Amen. So Jesus leaves his house and he goes down to the shores, the Sea of Galilee, to preach. And he gets on a boat, um, like the last time, and is shoved off a little bit from the shore and is preaching to a big, giant crowd. And I'll later explain what... um, Parables are because he teaches now in parable. He stops teaching uh, quite clearly, and now he's teaching in parables. And so, so far as Jesus has been preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, we've noticed not everyone has taken a liking to this new news. Not everybody loves the message that's being preached. And so the response has been very widespread. Some have been very enthusiastic about it. So, you know, there's a crowd, obviously, so some people are very excited. Uh, they've heard that Jesus is a healer, and so they hope that they might be healed as he heals. There's another crowd, uh, aspect of the crowd, a response to Jesus, that sees him as uh, someone who can perform exorcisms and cast out demons. And so they're following him for that reason. They hope to see an exorcism happen. That would be wonderful. Um, And still others, like the Pharisees and the Herodians, are starting to plot to kill Jesus. So then there's another group. And then there's just a group of people that follows Jesus for no apparent reason. I like to call them the, the, the celebrity bandwagon followers, right? They're just there. They just heard about Jesus, and they want to follow him. And then there's another group. There's, of course, Jesus' family. And they called him a madman, a lunatic. So there's another group. And then there's even more groups. There's a group that just came down from Jerusalem accusing Jesus of being in uh, league with the devil. And so look at how many responses there are to the same words in the works of Jesus. And that's something else, isn't it? That there's so many different responses to Jesus. Now, if the preaching of the kingdom of God, the preaching of the kingdom of God is announcing good news, how can people respond so differently? How can there be so many different responses to Jesus if it's true? Shouldn't it be received by everybody because it's true, because it's good news? It's kind of the question before us, and and the tragic reality that we learn uh, in today's message from Jesus is that even though the gospel is good news, even though it's good news, right, it can be ignored or rejected by all people all kinds of people, uh, all the same. And uh, just as a man on a ledge can refuse the hand that, you know, says, hey, come on, don't jump. 
right? Take it. It's here. You can refuse that hand. Uh, so too can people refuse the grace of God. And so Jesus taught on uh, that boat to crowds of people, hoping all people would listen with receptive hearts to this simple parable. And he says that this, this man with a bag of seed just started to spread seed around. Um, pretty simple thing to do, spreading seed in his, in his field. And as the sower tossed seed to the first batch, it, it fell on rocky soil and bounced around and the wind blew it away and birds snatched it up. He tosses more. It lands on uh, rocky soil where it scorches under the hot Palestinian sun, which is pretty hot, right, Phyllis? Yeah. Um, pretty hot out there. And for a third time, he tosses it and, and it falls among thorns where it's choked. It doesn't, it suffocates. It doesn't grow. It doesn't flourish. And finally, other seeds thrown onto good soil and it produces good crop. Um, great harvest multiplies 30, 60, and 100 times, 100-fold. Um, so the seed, Jesus later explains only to a small select group of people. He'll, he'll, he'll reveal what this parable means. And he says that this, the, the seed is the word of God. Then he goes on and he says, he himself is the sower or anybody who brings good news acts as a sower. So that's uh, somebody like me who's... Um, you know, uh, vocation is to uh, bring the good news regularly, right? It's also everybody who calls himself a Christian. Um, that's a ring app, isn't it? <laughs> Intruder alert, sorry. Um, if anybody has the opportunity to, uh, to, to preach the good news, to preach the gospel and um, share it with others. I encourage you to, to regularly be sharing the gospel with others that you know. And at the very least, man, just simply ask them to come to church with you, right? That's an easy thing to do. So at the very least, be, be regularly encouraging people um, so they can hear the word of God. They can hear the seed. Hmm. So we know what the seed is. We know who the sowers are. And finally, there's the soil. The soil in this parable is the condition of the human heart. There are many different conditions of the human heart. We get different responses to the gospel. And so I want us to think about the four kinds of soil that Jesus brings up here so we can better understand the different responses people have to the gospel. And in doing that, hopefully we'll find out where we stand, what kind of soil we have in our hearts. Um, does God, God's word, does it take root inside of me? And so first, the hard heart. Jesus says in verse 15, he says, And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So animal hooves and, and uh, feet stomping from farmers uh, working the fields and wheels and, and other such things would, would make a path, right, a dirt path, really hard. It would, it would compact it. And so it would become almost as hard as pavement. And so seeds that fell onto that surface would bounce or roll around or uh, be blown away in the wind. And so birds would snatch up that seed. And so some hearts we see, right, are, are like beaten paths, like pavement. When they hear the word of God, they're not concerned. It bounces right off. In fact, life goes on as if they've never heard anything at all. 
it's back to the ball game or you know, getting the nails done or watching TV or the, going to the latest box office hit. Life goes on as usual, untouched by the words of God. And, and, and God's word's not even interesting. And notice Jesus says immediately, right? Satan comes in immediately and snatches it up like a bird, takes that good news away. Their lifestyle is too busy, too frantic, too chaotic to hear God's word, to let it steep. There's no time for religion or for spirituality. Now, according to Pew Research, uh, Pew Research does a bunch of studies, really helpful uh, when you're looking at what people in, uh, for example, America believe about Christianity or, or religion. And according to Pew Research, one in five Americans are too busy to go to church. Too busy to go to church. Now, busy work schedules or soccer practice crowds out the schedule, and, and, and that's a higher priority for a growing number of people. That's not surprising, because in America, we have uh, this kind of weird envy for the person, right, who is super busy. So when we say, you know, how's it going? How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm really busy, right? That's something that is like, it's, you get like super, super points for, like, that's awesome. You're, you're really busy? Oh, me too. Yeah, I'm so busy. No, I'm busier than you are. You know, it's almost competitive. Like, how much, how much do you have going on? I have this going on. Oh, yeah, we had the soccer practice, and my kid's in baseball and swim, and you know, it just keeps going on. It's like we're, we're competing for who's busier. But, I mean, the, the, we're all too busy for Jesus. That's a simple fact um, that, that's, that's, that's happening now in our culture. And the study tells us more blatantly than ever that, that we don't think we need Jesus. We're too busy for him. Um, we're, we're good enough on, on our own. We've convinced ourselves that we're capable and we're able to um, figure it out through our self-improvement programs, our self-help books, our Googling, that that's all sufficient. The fact of the matter is, of course, that we need Jesus. And we'll never, by ourselves, be good enough. We need to stop and we need to sit before Jesus, the King of Kings. And to our hard-hearted, stubborn hearts like that hard pavement, right, the soil that is, that is hard, we need for Jesus' kind and generous and patient heart to soften us. And we need for God to start working on that soil, breaking it up, cracking that soil, the hard soil of our life, getting through, breaking through the surface of our irrelevant lives so that the gospel can break in and seed can be planted. I love that uh, there's a you know, song by... Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga shallow, and as they sing, um, aren't you tired of living in this modern world, or do you need more? And they hit the nail on the head with that. Uh, There is more. All of us need more. (laughs) We long for more. So let God break up your hardened heart so he can repair it and mend it again with his grace and his love. Um, So to our indifference, maybe we need a wake-up call. As C.S. Lewis once said uh, famously, God whispers in our pleasures, he speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. Maybe we need for God to raise his megaphone, uh, you know, and, and shout in our pain and scream so that we'll listen. Second, we see the shallow heart. There's the hard heart first, the shallow heart second. Jesus says, verse 16, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. Sounds like a good thing. 17, 
and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Now, farming in Palestine can be super tricky. They, uh, land there has this thin layer of soil and um, over uh, limestone bedrock. So when seed falls, some of it um, you know, kind of lies between this, this very shallow surface. And so when that hot Palestinian comes, it just blazes and burns it. Um, and, and, and the seeds, they sprout too soon, too quickly, and they, they wither and they die. I'm afraid that that description of this, you know, sprouting quickly and withering and die is all too common of American Christianity. There are a lot of people who have been sold cheap grace and prosperity gospels so that when hardship comes, there's no solid ground, no solid ground of doctrine even, uh, teaching to stand on. For example, it's easy to think that God exists to make me happy and that being a Christian in America means that I can, well, I can be a Christian and I can have my best life now too, that those things are compatible, that it's okay, that um, it's okay to be comfortable, that everything should be automatic and convenient. I heard that Amazon's now switching to one-day delivery. That's amazing, by the way. But at the same time, I mean, think of how we want everything to be so convenient. We want to order what we want when we want it now, right? Maybe tomorrow it'll be uh, same-day delivery that they can pull off for everybody. Um, And I think that we can easily forget that Jesus, right, God's most beloved son... (laughs) didn't have a convenient life, didn't have a comfortable life. God, the Father, was well pleased to hang his one and only son on a cross where he was imprisoned, he was harassed, in his life he was hunted down like a dog. He was beaten, flogged, murdered. That's not to say now that he didn't enjoy a good occasional meal or two, right? He was friends with sinners and tax collectors, so I'm sure he had a nice uh, glass of Pinot Noir or something. But, man, he he suffered. He lived a a, a pretty gruesome life for our sake. When we look at the whole of his life, it was full of suffering, sacrifice, not just at the end of his life either, but from the very beginning, he was suffering for our sake. If anyone has the right to entitlement, Jesus, being son of God, has the right to be entitled. And yet, he didn't Take his participation trophy. <laughs> right? He laid that down before the, before the Father. Assumed our flesh, true God, true man, and was afflicted for our sake, suffered at the hands of men. If he was put to death by the will of God, if he suffered and he died, he lived a very uncomfortable and inconvenient life, what ought to happen to his disciples, to people who follow him? What should we expect? So the shallow heart. Then there's the double-minded heart. Verse 18, Jesus says, And others are the ones sown among thorns. They're those who hear the word. Verse 19. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Does anybody else hate weeds? Yeah, like right now with all the, the rain that we've been having, anybody's backyards look like they need some work. Yeah, 
maybe. Um, it's just, it's a mess, right? That uh, It's been raining a lot here in San Diego for the last few months. All kinds of weed crises in our backyard. Chop them down and they sprout right up with the grass and they choke it out. Like weeds, Jesus says that there are three kinds of thorns. There's the cares of the world, there's the deceitfulness of riches, and then there's the desires for other things. You know, like a lumpsome category over there. I took my, uh, one of my oldest son uh, to go see uh, Disney's new Aladdin. Anybody, anybody have a chance to see Aladdin? Yeah, all right. So we went and we watched Aladdin. It's the same as the old one, so if you've seen the old one, there's no spoilers, right? Just telling you, telling you straight. Um, we saw Aladdin, and you know, despite all the warnings that Genie, Will Smith uh, in, this, in this version, uh, that Genie uh, gives him about wealth and power and the, the deception of it, the deceitfulness of it, what it does to a man. Once Aladdin becomes Prince Ali, Prince Ali, uh, do, 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 I guess. All right. I wish we were in Song of Solomon again. That'd be great. Could sing all the time. Uh, but once Aladdin became Prince Ali, it was so hard for him to use his last wish for genie. Because Aladdin's pure heart, once pure heart, became divided. It was double-minded. It was tugged and it was pulled by the deceitfulness of riches and the allure of power. Right? All of a sudden he had a lot and he didn't want to give it up. He wanted more. On another occasion, Jesus teaches, no one can serve two masters, this is in Matthew 6, says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And so like Aladdin teaches or like Jesus taught in Matthew 6, many start out well. They seem very interested in Christianity, but the love of the world chokes out the word of God. And they bear no fruit. They're double-minded, and so they prove unfruitful in the end. So there's the hard heart, there's the shallow heart, there's the double-minded heart. It's divided, split. Finally, the last type of soil is the fruitful heart. Jesus says in verse 20, But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirty-fold and sixty-fold and a hundred-fold. Now this is a heart. Unlike the other three hearts, right, that we've looked at, conditions we've seen, where God's word doesn't bounce, God's word is not too shallow, doesn't sprout too early, and it's not divided. This is a heart that not only receives the word, but it bears much fruit. It is a heart that can be noticed, as Paul points out later in another book, uh, by having the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, Faithfulness, self-control. Um, as Paul says in, uh, to, the, to the Colossians, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Right? That's true of the fruitful heart, that, that um, God's word springs forth, springs out of that good soil. Her whole per- person's engaged in the word. He is like a, a tree firmly planted by streams of water, as Psalm 23 describes. Or as Paul writes the Colossians again in in chapter 1, he says, the word of truth, the gospel that's come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. So those are all descriptions that the scriptures give us of, of what a fruitful heart, a fruitful life looks like. And so when... When we're reading this passage, right, we might walk away very discouraged. 
Um, we might be discouraged that so many people don't hear the news of the kingdom of God, the good news. And I think that's to miss the, the point of this passage. It doesn't read it correctly because it's not a zero-sum game. It's not teaching us uh, that most will fall away or that a majority will fall away uh, and not believe, and then only a, a few will have good soil. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Um, notice there are four soils. We've talked about the four soils. But how many seeds are there? Anybody know? Want to take a guess? There's more than four. 1,000. That's a good guess. Wow. A little lower. All right. That's getting crazy. No. Okay. I'll say that if there's less than seven, there's more than four. So you have two guesses left. One more guess. <laughs> six. All right. Yeah. So there are four soils, but six seeds. Okay? There's six seeds. The first three seeds, they don't yield. They don't yield anything. The last three seeds, as verse 20 points out, says 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. All really good crops, right? All very good in that time. And so the focus is not on how many people believe versus how many people don't, but it's rather on how people respond to the good news of the kingdom and how they respond differently to the same Jesus. Some believe, others do not. Some are insiders, as Jesus describes. Others are outsiders. Um, I was once in a, a Christian fraternity, and, uh, and it's been interesting to keep up with everybody who was in the, the, the group. You know, we regularly read the scriptures, and we were all Christians. And uh, years after graduating, uh, it's interesting to keep up with who's still a Christian and who isn't. And it's really sad, you know, such a tight-knit group of people, people who I thought, wow, this person's, you know, a really devout Christian, uh, now doesn't even go to church, you know, hasn't, hasn't had any involvement or, or is, is living in um, unrepentant sin and openly. And uh, it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking to see that. And um, maybe you, you can relate in some way um, with past people you've known, but... The first three seeds either die or only survive. Well, the second group, right, the, the, the second three seeds, uh, they bring results. And that's the truth for all who believe in Jesus, that, that faith is never, <laughs> um, we're saved by faith alone, but that faith is never alone, that true faith produces good works. And so it's clear from our passage, even uh, who these fruitful pe- people were. In verse 10, Jesus no longer is with the giant crowds of people. He's with this small group, verse, 12, verse 10. It says, and when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. I just want to pause on that for one second. Um, Jesus has this small group of people that he teaches, that he's with. Um, I think it reminds us of our need to be part of community that Jesus would do that, that he would um, invest in such a small group. That It teaches us that we need instruction from our leaders and we need to be part of a group of people where we can share the, the scriptures with each other, we can pray with each other, we can be encouraged um, by God's word with one another to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And so um, maybe just as a, seg- as a pause for a second, just... Let me encourage you to be part of a community group. Uh, Rob Huang's our, our uh, director of community group, directory, director, community group director. 
There it is. That's what he is. Uh, so please talk to him and, and join a community group um, nearby your area so you can be part of a community together and, and continue to grow. So it's in this smaller group where Jesus tells us the, the purpose of the parables. Verse 11, and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? I wanted to bring this up because here Jesus quotes an Old Testament passage again. As, as, have you been noticed? Have you noticed? Ugh, my words are all jumbled. Have you noticed that Jesus is constantly um, going back to the Old Testament over and over again in the Gospel of Mark? I mean, he's just continually quoting. So this one comes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. You can write that down if you're taking notes. Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. Which was God's word to Isaiah the prophet at the time of his call to be a prophet. And he was called to preach the word of God to a people who would reject his message. It's a pretty depressing thing. Uh, in the next chapter, chapter 7 of Isaiah, Ahaz, King Ahaz, uh, he rejects God's message through, Israel, through Isaiah. <clears throat> and we're shown that that's true. That, that this message was rejected. It, all it did, all, all the, the preaching of that good news of the kingdom did was harden those who were already hardened that the parables exist to exclude outsiders. Those who've stubbornly refused Jesus are condemned. Now, what's a parable? The Sunday school answer is that a parable is uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That sounds all chipper, right? That sounds really cool. It's not that, though. Uh, the parable puzzles and it perplexes and it does not preach. Like, I would not preach a parable. Like, if, it's not a good way to tell people what you're trying to say. Um, to speak in a parable is to speak in veiled speech. It's the opposite of prose, which is usually, you know, easier to understand. It's, it's couch. It's meant to conceal, not reveal. Maybe the, the closest thing that we have to parables are those, those um, you're reading the paper, uh, you're reading the New Yorker, um, you know the, the political cartoons? Have you ever seen a political cartoon? They're fascinating. I remember reading the paper as a young boy, and I saw a drawing of Ross Perot. Anybody remember Ross Perot? Yeah. People are already pointing to the ears. Yeah, he looked like Dumbo. He was, like, flying. And I had no idea. All I thought of was Dumbo. I was like, oh, this guy's like Dumbo. That's cool. But obviously, it carried a lot of meaning. There were also cartoons of Bill Clinton and other things, and I'm sure there was lots of meaning there, too. Um, not for church, though. Um, but to a child, right, political cartoons are, are just elephants and donkeys, right? That's all they are. It's an elephant. Oh, cool, it's a donkey. It's Dumbo, you know, um, which was an elephant, not a donkey. I know that. I know the difference. But um, only the adults recognize, right, that an elephant and a donkey are symbols for political parties that really hate each other. And, and the artist is trying to communicate something and say something and, and call to action through his depiction, of, uh, through his artistic depiction. I think parables work that way. 
Um, now, parables, parables are a great way to communicate the secret, or the mystery, the mysterion, the mysteries of the kingdom of God. At the beginning of the sermon, I asked the question, if the kingdom of God is good news, why then don't, why, why doesn't everybody believe? We have our answer. The hearing and receiving of the word is a mystery, and this parable tells us what's happening in the world every time God's kingdom message is being preached. The most important thing that we can do is listen to the word and receive it, not with uh, hard hearts, not with shallow hearts, not with double-minded hearts, but with fruitful hearts, hearts ready to receive God's word and respond and act on it. As the next parable shows in the parable of the lamp, God doesn't want his truth in Christ to be hidden. Right? Once, once it's revealed, it's out in the open. The mystery of God has now been declared. It's revealed in the words and works of Jesus. It's being declared now openly around the world. It's no longer restrained. And like a, a bright light, it's shining in the darkness, meant to be heard and seen. The question now that... that each of us must face, right, is what are we going to do with that knowledge of the the mystery of the kingdom of God? Once we've heard it, how will we respond? Will we believe it? And if we do believe it, will we share it with others? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Um, Parables, as confusing as they are, um, thank you that you clearly reveal the meaning of it through Christ and that um, you teach us, Father, more and more about who you are, more and more about what you've done, more and more of the purpose of all these things that we might come and believe, no longer be in darkness, but would come to the light and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So Father, I ask that you would help us, Lord, um, if we are hindered in any way from receiving this good news, if uh, the cares of this world, uh, the deceitfulness of riches, or other things are crowding out and choking out your word, uh, that you would remove those obstacles and that you would help us, Father, to trust you to believe your promises in the gospel, to believe that Jesus is for us and not against us, and to find comfort and hope in your son. Pray this, Father, today. In Jesus' name, amen.